Welcome to the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast, the podcast that travels back into time to review classic episodes of Jim Crockett Promotions' Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling as it appears on the NBC Universal streaming service Peacock, as well as internationally on the WWE Network. Before we begin today's voyage, I'd just like to note we have social media on several platforms. Our Twitter is the most active, but we have a Facebook page and more. Just search at Mid-Atlantic Pod and look for the logo. And if you want to follow along with us but don't have access to Peacock or the network, you can still do so by heading over to the MightyMidAtlanticGateway.com and checking out David Taub's reviews of these classic shows. We'd also appreciate you heading over to YouTube.com slash MidAtlanticPod where you can find full podcasts, truncated versions of classic episodes, plus special audio and video clips exclusive to our page and often with the great assistance of the Mighty Mid-Atlantic Gateway website. Go to youtube.com slash midatlanticpod and please subscribe, watch, and like the videos. It would be doing us a great service. Now with all that out of the way, today in episode number 46, we take a look at the television that was taped on Wednesday, December 8th, 1982 at the WPCQ Studios Channel 36 in Charlotte, North Carolina, and began airing in local markets beginning that weekend of Saturday, December 11th. I'll bring in my co-host right now, Roman Gomez. Roman, how are you today? I am doing good. I am enjoying the nice weather we're finally having here, and went for a walk earlier and in a t-shirt, and yeah, it's, it's nice to enjoy the weather, and I'm looking forward to talking about today's podcast. And we got a good one today, too. It's a, uh, a really a promo-driven show. On this episode, there's some really good wrestling inside of the ring, too. But, obviously, Roddy Piper and his feud with Greg Valentine and Ric Flair is red hot. We saw Piper run Valentine out of the studio last week. There were ramifications of that, which we will find out later on. But, we open up for the second straight week at the podium instead of in the ring. Bob Cottle is there as always. He ran down a little of what we'd see today, including the old dream team of world champion Ric Flair and United States champion Greg Valentine, before Cottle welcomed in the NWA World Tag Team Champions Sergeant Slaughter and Don Kernoodle. And guess what? They once again want to revel in the moments of November 12th when the pair injured Jay Youngblood. And believe it or not, the pair actually teased that they would be playing a beating they laid on their television opponents last week. But the lure of reveling in the pain of Youngblood was just too much for Slaughter and Kernoodle to overcome, as you will hear right now. For you this week, you'll see the World Tag Team Champions in action, plus the World Champion, plus the U.S. Heavyweight Champion, and a number of other great, outstanding wrestling stars from around the world. And speaking of stars, right here now are the World Tag Team Champions, Sergeant Slaughter, Don Kernodal. Sergeant? That's right. You know, you've got the opportunity to see the World Tag Team Champions once again on your television tube. Don Kernodal, Sergeant Slaughter, and they say there's a 9-5 to five odds in Las Vegas that we might hurt somebody again on television. <laughs> We've been hurting everybody around here making examples. And we were going to show a film of us wrestling last week on here. We hurt somebody last week, but we thought we'd show you a better one. We thought we'd show you hurting Jay Youngblood again. That's right. There we are. They think they won the match. They didn't show where my foot was on the rope there. And the referee said continue the match, and Don Cronuto, being the world champion he is, took advantage. Always Always ready. 
We're in these situations, Sergeant. Tell them about it, Don. Exactly right. Right young here, you take young, you took young blood down. You got him at your mercy right there. And what is he doing? He's reverting to punching and everything. And well, I sneak in the back. That, he heard that the match was still continued, so he was fighting me. That's exactly right. And so I'm still fighting, also, right? That's right. As you can see right here, everybody says we're the greatest tag team in the world, and here you can see one reason because we. Oh, boy, I sure like to see. Team that. is right. Two of you. You know, some people call us the best double team. I've had a lot of great thrills in my life, Sergeant Sergeant. I want to thank you right now. This is one of the greatest thrills in my life. The greatest thrill in my life is seeing and hearing Jay Youngblood's little neck crack and pop. That was one of the greatest sounds I ever heard when you put that cobra on him and made him sing. That's right. We're going to call that the atomic bomb from now on because that can take anybody's head right off. He was hurt there, but I heard him saying, let's continue wrestling, so I put the cobra clutch on him. I could hear his little neck popping and grinding right. like a chicken's neck the right there. Said, the referee says he hasn't given up yet. He hasn't given up yet. So we continued the match. And you know the devastation that this did, that this did to Jay Youngblood. He'll probably be hurt for a long, long time. We don't expect to see him around here. For a long you got to give it to Slaughter and Carnoodle. This is like, what, the third week, the fourth week that they have played that video and they are still finding new ways to lie about it and what happened during the match. You know, you, you hear that? Well, Youngblood said he wanted to continue the match, so I went and get and wrapped on the Cobra Clutch to it. it. just It's fantastic that they're finding new ways to lie about what took place and uh, at the same time reveling, I once again use that word because they really are reveling in the fact that they put Youngblood out of commission. Yeah, and I'd like to see a replay of the Tommy Peterson's uh, drawings thrash that'd be fun to see that again to remind people what, what's going on but yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to steamboat and youngblood coming back from the orient and uh i i can't wait for them to get back and we've got uh, a new name for the assisted slaughter cannon the atomic bomb whether slaughter is the one holding the opponent or whether it's Cronoodle, the man coming off the top rope that's what slaughter decided to call the uh uh, the Atomic Bomb. Now, that name I don't believe will last for very long, but we'll stay in tune with that as the weeks go on. But we then faded to commercial, and when we came back, Slaughter and Cronoodle are ready in the ring to face off against Ron Ritchie and Mark Fleming in one of the latter's earliest matches. Uh, Fleming was a native of Norfolk, Virginia, and was a protege of the legendary six-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion Luthez. And from 1982 until the time the Jim Crockett promotion sold to Turner in 1988, Fleming was a very good preliminary worker for the company. And as these episodes and years go on, we will surely be speaking about him in a lot more detail. But a referee for the day, Stu Schwartz. Roman, this was a... Again, there was a lot of good, solid television wrestling which took place telling different stories throughout each one. And this one came down to the fact that Slaughter and Cronoodle have been on a spree of dominating and trying to injure their opponents, whether it be during the match, after the match, no matter what it is, they are aggressively going after their opponents. And against Richie and Fleming, that was no different here. One really cool spot, I thought, was when Slaughter tagged Cronoodle in early in the match and then put Cronoodle on his shoulders in a fireman's carry and then dropped a knee across Richie's throat. 
you know, using the extra weight of Cronoodle on his back. I thought that was a, a really sharp move that I think somebody could could bring back in any era and make it work. But the pair finished off Richie with an atomic bomb in six minutes and 19 seconds. And Cronoodle uh, and, and Slaughter tried to go back uh, around Schwartz's back to go back after Richie to try to give him a little bit more business after the bell. But he, uh, Schwartz and Fleming were able to hold those guys off, and that was that. But a very, another impressive, one-sided, dominant performance for the champions. Yeah, that movie you talked about, it was definitely unique. You know, when I first saw it, I was thinking Slaughter was going to drop Carnoodle on the opponents, and I go, what just happened? And then I watched it again, and like Cottle said, you know, the extra 240, 250 pounds of Carnoodle on top of Slaughter as Slaughter's dropping the knee makes it a little more effective, you know, when you got an extra 250 pounds supposedly applying pressure to the opponent. So it was definitely a unique move and something a little creative. And the enhancement guys got in a little more offense than I thought they would in this contest, which make, made it go a little bit longer. But in the end, the atomic bomb, like you said, it might not, the name might not be around for a while, but the move will be. And it was a definitely effective move. And Slaughter and Carnoodle, the NWA Tag Team Champions, emerged victorious. And Richie taking the L here is, uh, you could probably guess, his time in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling was rapidly coming to an end. He had come in from Florida in February and made it into the mid-card, including a brief feud against Sergeant Slaughter before he started to slide backwards. Uh, we saw him be one of the two men that Ric Flair quickly dispatched of alongside Keith Larson during his public workout two weeks ago. And he took the loss in the uh, main event last week in the uh, six-man tag team match as well. So Ron Ritchie would soon be departing. Uh, we then fade to black, and when we come back, it's Cowboy Bob Wharton Jr. standing in the ring and ready to face off against Ken Timms. And this is another good match with a story being told. And I'm going to note now that during the match, uh, Bob talks about who will be coming back into the area, like Dusty Rhodes and Abdul the Butcher. And he also mentions that Sir Oliver Humperdinck would be bringing in a new name, the one-man gang George Gray, billed to be six foot nine, four hundred and fifty pounds. For Sir Oliver Humperdinck bringing him in along with Bruiser Brody Roman, so we're going to be seeing the debut of uh, at that time probably still best known for outlaw work in ICW, working for the Poffos, but. I believe, had made his way over to Mid-South and down into Florida, and now making his way into the Carolinas, George Gray, the one-man gang. Yeah, surprised that they gave his real name. That kind of shocked me, instead of just calling him the one-man gang. But yeah, there's always new people ready to come into the Mid-Atlantic area, and Humperdinck's always trying to exp expand a stable. Yeah, obviously that name George Gray wouldn't stick around for very long. He would be known as the One Man Gang, a name that he had picked up from Ronnie Garvin working over in Knoxville alongside him. And that's how he would remain until he became Supreme Dancing Machine, uh, the, the African dream, Akeem in the WWF. I guess he did have a, uh, a short stint in Florida as a Panama Gang or something like that, too, where he was rocking the Panama hat there, but... Uh, I'm taking this into to many different directions uh, that are not Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, so I'll take it back to this really good, old-fashioned professional wrestling match. And their trip takedowns, sit-out escapes, hammer locks, wrist locks, just 
good, clean wrestling from both men. This is the type of match that after we'd see the draw first on the card in the arena, you'd have a, a good match like this between two guys to, you know, get everybody going a little bit more. And, you know, a decade into his career, Bob Orton Jr. is just so good at everything, including the little things, the music between the notes, as it could be said. And once again, he gets a victory in a different way. I believe this is the third straight week of doing such. Orton used a fireman's carry into a Samoa drop and a cradle for the victory. And it kind of felt like at first it came out of nowhere. But then, Roman, I, I was, you know, kind of thinking about it. And it's like, you know, this was just a good wrestling match, a good clean one. And it was just a, a simple impact move that in this very simple wrestling match was the, the thing to put Ken Tim's away. Orton has always been a great tactician or technician and somebody I have always enjoyed watching. And he hit the Samoan drop. And to tell you the truth, I wanted to see the superplex. I think the superplex was just such a great move. And at that time, there was basically two people that did it. It was him and the super destroyer down in Georgia, who was Scott Hogg Irwin. And it was just the superplex just looked so good when it was done. So in that regard, I was a little disappointed that I didn't get to see the superplex, but a uh, impressive win for Cowboy Bob Orton Jr. this week. After the match, we head over to the desk where Orton joins Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion Jack Briscoe. And Briscoe talked about his long feud with number one Paul Jones and relived a few of the highlights that took place along the line. When he finished up, Orton, still a little winded from his match, took over and cuts a really strong promo on his friend Roddy Piper being banished from the WPCQ studios for growing after Greg Valentine during his match last week. And we'll get into this a little bit afterwards. Bob Orton, not known as a great orator throughout his career, really puts on some strong ones today. As with us right now at ringside, Jack Briscoe, Bob Orton Jr. Jack, great to see that belt still right well, here with Jack Briscoe. That certainly is. I fought long and hard for this thing and finally won it. And uh, won it from Paul Jones, of course. I'm very proud to wear it. And, of course, Paul Jones isn't quite satisfied. He says, I stole the belt from him and wants it back. Well, I'm perfectly willing to put this belt up just to get Jones back in the ring because I'm not satisfied with Jones yet either. Yeah, I see, uh, Jack, really, you know, Jones, uh, he hurt you and... Uh, he deliberately hurt you. Well, him and his buddy Valentine jumped me in the parking lot, of course, and hurt my leg, and I was on crutches for about 10 days. And uh, fortunately, I got over it soon enough, got my leg well, got back in the ring and challenged Paul Jones right here on TV for the belt. And this is where I lost it to Jones right here with a karate thrust to the throat. And I've chased him all over this part of the country and finally caught him. And but, I'm you know, sure. Jack, when you're talking about it, you're not satisfied, maybe. But, you know, taking that belt from Jones, I think, probably hurt him more than any other thing you could have well, done. Of course, of course, the belt means a lot of prestige and a lot of money. And, of course, Paul Jones feels it is his belt. I feel it's mine, and I'm perfectly willing to get him right there in the ring and find out. Yeah, man, and I know I'd love to see that. I know the all fans right. would, too, Jack. Congratulations, right Jack. Bob Orton, Jr., Bob. Anytime you win him. <laughs> A championship, especially one of that, that high esteem, you've done something. Right. Jack Briscoe deserves a lot, a lot of credit. But there's things here that still have to be straightened up. The House of Humberdink has got Roddy Piper barred from the television station. You know, things are coming down. If anyone should have been barred, it could have been Ric Flair and Greg Valentine for rubbing his face across mm -hmm. the, con the concrete floor. But things happen. Roddy disobeyed the rules, and Roddy isn't going to be here today. But Roddy Piper is still around. Everybody should know that. I'm still around. The Boogie Woogie Man's here. Jack Briscoe is here. Humber
Humberdink, you still have the United States title in your camp. The TV title's in your camp. Slaughter's camp has the, the tag team titles. There's a lot of titles to get and a lot of things to take care of. Jack Briscoe, world's champion, class material. Myself, I'm no slouch. I'm telling you, brother, anytime we can get to him, the Duke, any of them, Bad Bad Lever Brown, Paul Jones, the time has come to fight fire with fire, and it's going to be rough. We know that, but that's why we're here. We like it rough. When things get going tough, what the old coach used to tell you, the tough gets going. And he wasn't bullying, brother. He was telling the truth, and that's just the way it is. Humperdink, get ready, brother. My time's about up here, but yours is about up in the ring, bro. There we hear from Jack Briscoe and Bob Orton Jr., and... When you think about Bob Orton and the people he's been associated with throughout his career, sans his father, Dick Slater, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, Don Morocco, they were the ones doing the heavy lifting when it came to the mic work because very often Bob Orton was doing his role in the ring. But there we hear some Fired up words from Bob Orton, who cut a really good promo and, and really was not the only one. Uh, it wasn't going to be the only one today that he cuts, Roman. Orton, uh, he did do a good job on the mic. And like you said, he's more known for his in-ring work. But uh, on this episode, he did do a good job on the mic. We then fade to black. And when we come back, Briscoe is in the ring, ready to face off against Rick Connors. And we've seen Connors the last few weeks. He's a longtime worker from the general area coming over the mountains from Knoxville. He lived through all the incarnations there from John Kazana to Ron Fuller to Angelo Poffo to Ric Flair and Blackjack Mulligan. And believe it or not, in July of 1981, Connors was the Brass Knuckles champion for the promotion over there, even mixing it up with area legend Ron Wright. But that was his pinnacle. He would more often be seen on the losing end of of matches during that era on World Championship Wrestling on WTBS. And we'll get Roman's thoughts on this match here in a moment, but it is the holiday season, and Uncle Bob has some some great ideas for anyone stuck uh, on some gifts. Fans, a reminder right here, it's the holiday season, of course, and we mentioned earlier some of the outstanding wrestlers again that are going to be here very shortly in addition to the number of wrestlers and the, the big world names, the world-class names already that are here. What could be better than to get some member of your family some tickets to wrestling as a gift? And it would be an ideal gift over, over the holidays. And I think it's something that they would appreciate for a long, long time. So you might think about that. If you have someone that you can't think of what to give them, tickets to wrestling. Briscoe still now with that headlock on Connor. Everyone's got that friend or family member that's really difficult to buy for every year, and why not buy them wrestling tickets? Now, of course, they'd have to actually like wrestling or at least like you enough to take you to wrestling, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. What, Robert, what's the, uh, you ever have anybody that really didn't know anything about you other than liking wrestling and they, they, they got you a gift and it happened to be bad or something like that. They got you like, Oh, here, you know, like your aunt or something like, Oh, he likes wrestling. So she gets you like an, an LJN action figure. And you're really hoping that it's going to be like Randy Savage or Hulk Hogan or the junkyard dog. And it ends up being like the Antigua version of SD Jones or somebody like that. I never got an SD Jones action figure, but my mom got me something, which I thought was cool at the time. It was one of the AWA home videos and it was the tag team edition. And she didn't know it, 
But I was actually at one of those matches that they showed from the Riviera that had the Freebirds against Hitting and Ganya. So that was kind of like a little added bonus that she didn't know. So I still have that videotape, and it's very sentimental to me since my mom has passed away. But that's something I remember as a good Christmas gift. Oh, man, I love those Remco action figures, and I still have the Slaughter and Road Warriors VHS tapes. I never had the tag team ones. I'd, I'd see that on there, and I was so jealous because it's like, did they have a Bockwinkle and Stevens match on there, I, I think? I believe it, it was Bockwinkle and Saido versus the Ganyas. Ah, okay, that, that would have made uh, sense. Man, that stuff. I Oh, God, I love that stuff. I, and God knows what the cost of those things would be now. You know, of course, you know, you try to find a VCR in working condition as well, too. But back to the show. Well, oh, God. I was going to say, luck, luckily, you know me, Mike, so I, I can get it to you in DVD form. So <laughs> I'll, I'll take care of you. So soon after we heard from Bob, Jack Briscoe went to work on Connor's leg and eventually wrapped on the figure four and got the victory in four minutes and 39 seconds. And it was then time for what I, what honestly I thought was going to be an ode to 1980s hostage videos and not to make light of that. But if you could just have seen when they cut to Mike Rotundo standing in front of the worldwide set with just eyes glazed over, looking like a deer in headlights. And it was designed to be this way because obviously Mike Rotundo is not good at cutting promos. He is not super comfortable in front of the camera, but he has gotten over to the crowd and he is very good inside the ring. And he's obviously somebody that Dory Funk and many people want to see succeed, and he is a project of theirs. So they decide to put him in a situation where he goes out there to cut a promo on Leroy Brown, and he cuts it kind of like this. And unfortunately, I can't play this, and the reason why is once he begins to talk, all of a sudden, the music comes on, Boy from New York City, or in this case, the WWE overdub a boy from New York City, which is extra loud, and we get Jimmy Valiant and Bob Orton Jr. in to hype up Mike Rotundo and try to get him fired up on facing Leroy Brown, and I thought this was a amusing and unique way to obviously give a nod to the fans that we know Mike Rotundo is not very comfortable with this microphone, but he's got friends like uh, Valiant. Orton, by association, that means Roddy Piper is a friend of Mike Rotundo's to kind of like, you know, give him a little bit more credibility when unfortunately he just can't do so himself right now when the mic is with him. Well, I can't comment on any of that, Mike, because that's not on my version. I got none of that. But one thing I can comment on is that I would like to talk for a minute about the Briscoe Connor match is that just I thought it was very simple but very good that Briscoe worked on the leg for a couple minutes because that's the prelude to his figure four. And also, if Connor can't stand up, he can't put up much of a fight. So I thought that match told a very basic, simple story. But I will have to refer to you to the Mike Rotundo and all that stuff because that is not on my version. Yeah, you know, that, that's a story, by the way, that will play itself out in our next match with Paul Jones and Ken Hall as well too, Roman. But yeah, this is, uh, I'm getting the WWE Network slash Peacock version of this show. Roman has DVDs. 
from when these shows aired on the uh, old incarnation of WWE streaming service that they used to have. So that cut off of there. And I guess that means you also did not get the promo that we faded back into with Orton and Jack Briscoe, who have rejoined Bob to once again drive home the point to the House of Humperdinck that they got competition. And we get a mention of Orton's young son, obviously somebody we get to know in the ring years later. The psycho man up trying to get a man ready. You know, Jack Briscoe can attest to the fact that I've not always been such a nice guy. But I'd like everyone to know that my ideals have changed, not my style, not anything I do, just my ideals. Since my little boy was born, it'll change a little bit, you know, it'll make you think of things. But the things that are most important to think of are getting rid of guys like Bad Bad Leroy Brown, getting a young man like Mike Rotundo ready, psyching him up, getting him ready to punch somebody in the face, being able to put the figure four leg lock on like a Jack Briscoe, make a man say uncle right there in the middle of the ring. That's what it's all about, baby. Winning titles was Jack has done putting people out was Jack has done, beating him right in the middle. You know, Abdullah the Butcher wasn't such a nice guy, but he's coming back too, brother. The House of Humperdinck is going to have its problems. Roddy Piper is ready. Jack, I know you got something to say, yeah, brother. Yeah, of especially about that House of Humperdinck, because his house is coming down, and I took the cornerstone out of right here with this Mid-Atlantic Championship when I took Paul Jones. And Bob Borden's one of the finest wrestlers areas in the country today, and believe me, we're looking for that house of Humperdinck. Anybody, Joe LaDuke, Bad Bad Louie Ward Brown, you all welcome this belt. All you got to do is get inside that ring. I'll accept the job. So there's another one you didn't get, Roman, but I'm sure you're probably pretty happy to have heard it because we get another fired-up Bob Orton promo, which, again, is a rarity. When we think about Bob Orton Jr. and all of his uh, great gifts that he has, uh, the gift of gab is not something we usually give him credit for. No, he let his talking speak in the ring, and... You know, years later, of course, when he was surrounded by Piper, I mean, nobody's going to outshine Piper on the mic. So he didn't have to be a, the vocal force. You know, he could just be the ring tactician. We got back from break. Number one, Paul Jones in there against Ken Hall. And during the match, Bob mentioned something of key importance because of Roddy Piper attacking Greg Valentine on both Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling and Worldwide Wrestling last week. He is not allowed to be in the same studio as Flair and Valentine. You heard Orton allude to that earlier on as well. As a result, we'll be hearing from Piper via VTR. Roman, this match, uh, Jones handled Hall pretty easily, picking up the victory with the Indian Deathlock in six minutes and one seconds. After the match, he kept the leg lock on while he began to choke Hall. A Much like the previous match, Jones went to work, began to work on Hall's knee after Hall had gotten some offense in, went to work on the leg, which obviously led to the finish with the Indian Deathlock. The Indian Deathlock, what a great maneuver, and Hall was definitely not going to get out of that, and, and Jones, once he applied that, you know it was the beginning of the end. We then got one of our in lieu of promos with the cream of the crop, and Roman, I know what you're thinking. It's got to be Jim Dalton and Juan Reynosa back. And I, I know I know that's what you were fired up for, but nope. It happens to be the nature boy, Ric Flair and Greg the Hammer Valentine, aiming a promo at the state of Florida and doing what they do best, bragging on themselves and their friends. Fans right here at ringside, let's talk for a moment with the U.S. Well, champ nice and the world champ right here, Ric Flair and Greg Valentine. Well, first of all, let me take this opportunity to congratulate you and the University of North Carolina on a falling out of the top 20, huh? 
Boy, I'll tell you what. When you got the United States heavyweight champion and the world heavyweight champion living right here in the Mid-Atlantic area, I guess that tells the people out there that they better start looking at professional wrestling as being the number one sport in the whole world. And when we talk about Florida, West Virginia, we think about Dusty Rhodes, we think about Barry Windham, we think about the legendary great J.J. Dillon, one of my best friends. We think about King Kong Mosca, and we think about professional wrestling at its best. Ladies and gentlemen, you're looking at the two finely tuned wrestling machines in the world today. The proof is not in what I say. The proof is in these two belts around our waist. This represents what professional wrestling is all about. And along with the great Sergeant Bob Slaughter and my main man, the legendary Big D, we're talking about Don Cernoodle, whose name is synonymous with greatness in the heart of every woman in the South, then you know that, ladies and gentlemen, you're seeing the greatest that professional wrestling has to offer. Is that right, Val? Uh, yeah. huh? you, don't do too, you don't do too bad yourself, Flair, with the women. I tell you what, he's a real ladies' man. But exactly what Ric Flair said is true. What you're seeing right here is the men that made the Mid-Atlantic area big time, you understand? Way back in 76, 77, when Flair and myself were the world tag team champions. And now he's got the single world's belt. I've got the United States belt. There's no stopping hey, us now. Let me interrupt one thing. Can you imagine what we'd do to him if we ever walked into Miami together or West Palm Beach or Tampa? You think Dusty Rhodes has got the nerve to get a partner, huh? To wrestle guys like you and me? I don't think so. Rhodes... Since I took this from you, brother, you've been going downhill ever since. And when Valentine are together, you bring six guys, because it'll take that many to get in the ring with us. Woo! There we heard that in lieu of promo from Greg Valentine and Ric Flair. And as somebody that was a big Georgetown Hoyas fan, to hear Ric Flair get in that dig on North Carolina months after they had defeated Georgetown in the national championship game, lost to St. John's in Missouri to begin their season. And even though they went on a little winning streak by the time that this promo rolled around, they did fall outside of the top 20, which Ric Flair rubbed in to one of North Carolina's number one fans there, Bob Cottle. But, a uh, you know, we've heard some rough in lieu of promos, and we've heard some good ones. But once you got Ric Flair and Greg Valentine, you know, hey, it doesn't really get a whole lot better than that and you know most fans never saw that they never saw that because they were watching what was going to be taking place in Richmond or Norfolk or Roanoke or Charlotte or Greensboro or Rock Hill or wherever they were and what most of those fans would see next on the show was Roddy Piper's VTR and he reminds us of an old lesson about what happens when you assume stupidity when you're talking about stupidity, when you're talking about Ric Flair and Greg Valentine and you talk about stupidity, the only person you must blame for this is me. After 11 years, if I am stupid enough to get myself into a situation to turn my back on Greg Valentine and let them grind me. You know, remember when I used to talk to you and you used to, I used to say when I was a little kid, they used to spit on me and they've been knocking me around my whole life. And 
people said, what is Roddy Piper talking about? And so now when I add to it, and I've had my face ground into the pavement, raw, then you understand when I come up with a baseball bat and knock some sucker over the head. Then they say I'm crazy. But they see all these things that happen. They see Greg Valentine out there. Greg Valentine, I heard him say the lowest thing I've ever heard anybody in my life say. He says, Roddy Piper, look at this picture of him. Look at his face, he says. Looks like the elephant man, John Mernick. Let me tell you something. I'm not that much of a man. Don't you compare me to him because I don't deserve to be. But I'll tell you, I'm twice the man that either one of you, Valentine, or you, Flair, will ever be. You see, the mistake you made was this. You assumed that I was finished. What you did was you assumed that I would pack my bag and I would run out of town. What kind of a fighter would I be the first time I get beat up? I run away. You see, what you did is you assumed that I was finished. The only thing you do when you assume things, mister, is you make an ass out of you and me. And you've already made a jackass out of me, brother. Roddy Piper standing in front of the worldwide wrestling set in the suit from last week, cutting a promo, scarred up, banged up. The picture that Bob Cottle held up last week, the picture that we'll have Greg Valentine and Ric Flair hold up at the end of the show this week. Roddy Piper torn up after Greg Valentine, Ric Flair, dragged his face all over the concrete floor of the studios two weeks ago, Roman, and, uh, you know, talked about Slaughter and Cronoodle a little bit earlier on, reveling in others' pain. I am going to let you, because I'm sure you would like to revel in this promo, a classic from Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, great stuff. And, you know, like you said, he can't keep Piper away just by bruising his face. He's a fighter. You know, if he ran away, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be able to fight back. So he's hell-bent on revenge and... You know, Piper with the demonstration on why you never assume, you know, for those of you that have the Peacock Network, you can see what he was talking about. And, uh, yeah, just great stuff from Piper. And obviously him and Valentine, they're they're ready to go on a run here that people still talk about to this day. It's time for the main event. Former NWA World Tag Team Champions turn rivals and then back to friends again. Ric Flair and Greg Valentine against Mike Davis and Keith Larson. Once again, a really good main event with some really good workers. Obviously, Larson way early in the game at this point, but Davis was really starting to get seasoned. Their opponents, of course, when it's Flair and Valentine, two of the best workers in the world at the time, that certainly helped matters. Match went exactly eight minutes with Flair making Larson submit to the figure for a leg lock. The pair then headed over to the desk where Paul Jones was already standing alongside Bob Cottle, and the trio of heels ran down Piper, and we will hear that in a moment. But Roman, a, 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 again, just a really good TV main event where Davis and Larson got a little bit of offense in, enough to make them credible, especially in the case of Mike Davis, who was able to get the hot tag from Larson and get in there and do some work. And Again, Ric Flair sells like a zillion dollars for everybody. Greg the Hammer Valentine, for as much as he can dish it, he can also take it as well, too. And I just thought this was a a nice full eight minutes. And and what you also got was Flair and Valentine on display for a lot of people who'd only get to see them inside the buildings. 
Yeah, and you know, something I noticed early on during this episode, and this match illustrated it as well, is how much that the talent, the superstars, let the enhancement guys get in offense to make the matches competitive. You know, in this episode, Slaughter and Carnoodle let their opponents get in some offense. Paul Jones did. Flair and Valentine did. You know, it's quite different than the squashes you would see in the WWF where it was just a superstar putting on moves for three minutes and the opponent never fought back. These were actually competitive matches that were a little bit longer, you know, eight minutes, six minutes, you know, a little bit longer than the typical squash you see on TV. And it was nice to see Flair win with the figure four, you know, years later, I mean, Flair didn't beat anybody with the figure four. Everybody reversed it, you know, but back then it was a big deal when he put the figure four on you, he was probably going to emerge victorious. Yeah. And as much as like the grinders would be like Ole Anderson, as good as those matches could be, cause he gets, you know, good hardcore amateur wrestling and good mat wrestling and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Very little light, but you know, almost none. In fact, in most cases with Ole, these matches, instead of making the guy have to take everything, when you have Guys like Ron Ritchie, when you have guys like Rick Connors, when you have guys like Mike Davis, who at this point had been around five, six, seven, I mean, in the case of Connors, 10 years, you know, working Knoxville, I'm sure he had seen Jack Briscoe a million times before. I'm sure he had seen a lot of these guys a million times and tangled up with them before. So these guys with this experience, you know, the Valentines, the Flares, the Ortons, the ones who are giving them this offense, to me, it makes for a much better match. You know, there's a place for everything, but I thought the balance of the matches on this show today, for all of them being very obvious on paper, when you look at it, it, doesn't, it may not look very exciting, but I thought every single match told a very cohesive, comprehensive little story. Exactly, and that, that is a credit to the enhancement guys as well. You know, not only the superstars not being selfish, but like you said, you you got to have the right enhancement guys to make the match go a little bit longer to let them get their stuff in. You get the wrong enhancement guys, that match probably wouldn't be as good. And you're right about that. And experience matters, Roman, because we saw this last week with like Rick Rude and, and Joe Lauren, you know, Rude, who doesn't really know how to do anything and Lauren, who knows how to do a little bit. But we saw him botch up the finish with Sweet Brown Sugar last week. And here's a you know, the complete 180 from that, those guys, you know, still wrestling on the circuit, uh, you know, in preliminary matches, but then we get some more experienced guys back on TV and it does make the matches so much better, so much more believable and, and obviously a hell of a lot crisper. At the end of the match, Flair and Valentine exited the ring, beeline over to the desk where number one Paul Jones was already standing alongside Bob. And what did the heels talk about? course they talked about the state of roddy piper's face why is he barred from the tv station i'll tell you why two different occasions the nature boy wasn't here but two different occasions on two different shows the man ran out and jumped me from behind when i had the man in the figure four in a submission hold and that's why roddy piper is not allowed to be here he's an insane maniac a moron and you know something it all started when he tried to embarrass this man right here the world champion he did everything illegal, everything dirty to try to embarrass the world champion. But what, what happened, Bob Connell? He got embarrassed. 
Roddy Piper got it best. There it is. Look at Bring that picture. Look at that picture. He says he's bad to the bone. Boy, you can see the bone right there, the cheekbone. And it's a bad-looking face. I think it's beautiful, actually. You know the only thing wrong with this is? It really made me hurt right here. Because a couple days ago, we had Linda on our left and Mary on our right. But Betty Joe was the girl we were with that night, right, Paul? And you know what she told us? She said, Piper looks better now than he did before. As a matter of fact, we're getting letters from cosmetic surgeons all over the country wanting to know our technique. Now, Piper, <laughs> you emaciated, frail, hunk of nothing happening, ex-wrestling star. When I can take time out of my schedule to come over here Instead of dropping four or five thousand to two thousand one, or going up to Fridays to watch a Valentine and salsa women, like he does and only he does, then you know we got something big going on. And number one, and Val, come here. You talk about something the women in this world would like to have control of. Brother, you are looking at it right now. You can start with Dolly Parton, you can end up with Raquel Welsh. We've had them all, Daddy. And Roddy Piper, <laughs> goodbye. Hey, Rick, listen, I'm no dummy. I know why Valentine and Ric Flair wrestle on TV here tonight. They were hoping that Roddy Piper would show up. Listen, let me tell you something. Piper, Piper's down on his knees thanking God right now that he was suspended from a TV station. And let me tell you something else. Humper Dink has promised to put that belt back around my waist. And I guarantee you one thing, if he promised he better or something drastic, drastically is going to happen, I guarantee you. Woo! It feels so good. So there we hear Flair, Valentine, Paul Jones. The show basically bookended by Sadis. Uh, Slaughter and Kernoodle at the beginning there are still happy about Jay Youngblood. Flair and Valentine at the end about rubbing Roddy Pfeiffer's face all over the place and exciting the women player even at that time with the outdated references in 1982. He would use the, the same references about six, seven years later. He didn't care. He's like Flair. He's the Wanderer. So uh, there you hear from him, Roman, and there's a... Uh, <laughs> that's how we end things. I don't know what Paul Jones was doing out there other than to you know just kind of show a little bit of force, but he was kind of superfluous, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I thought they could have done without him there. But, you know, like you said with the heels, you got to have great heels for the baby faces to to go up against. You know, otherwise, what's the point? You know, I mean, Hogan, Hogan and Piper. Piper was great. That's what helped make that feud. You have to have great heels in order for the crowd to get behind the baby face. And Mid-Atlantic definitely had some dastardly heels and, I, I did like how in the interview, too, that Valentine had mentioned that him and Flair were former world tag team champions. So this isn't just the two best singles wrestlers in the area teaming up. This is a team that has a history together. So I, I thought that was good that he said that. And something else, too, Mike, I'm sure you probably heard it during Cottle's commentary on one of the matches, that he made an announcement that if Piper is in the building, Flair and Valentine are banned or if flair and valentine are in the building piper is banned i don't ever remember hearing anything like that in any other storyline or i just thought that was kind of a, a unique way to do things 
Yeah, very much so. And from the time Gray Valentine and Ric Flair returned to the area, and obviously Valentine hooked up very quickly with, with Humperdinck, they made sure to drive home the fact that you knew that Flair and Valentine, you know, it was recent history that those two were running the show around here and they were driving everything crazy. And they mentioned rubbing Rick, Ricky Steamboat's face in the concrete in the same way that Flair did back in 78. When Valentine came back in, Wahoo McDaniel was holding on to the United States Heavyweight Champion. They made sure to note that Greg Valentine was the one who broke Wahoo's leg a couple years earlier on. So they were doing a really good job making sure that you knew Ric Flair and Greg Valentine were back with each other. And one of the reasons why they had to to basically go ahead and reiterate that was, if you recall, before all this stuff happened, Ric Flair was a fan favorite. He was a babyface. He was beefing with the Snookas and the Valentines and the, the Gene Andersons and all those people that he had there, you know. So when he comes back to the area, he's lined back with Valentine. They're going after Piper, and the rest is going to be history. Certainly in the case of Greg Valentine and Roddy Piper, Ric Flair will soon be back out on the road as NWA World Heavyweight Champion, making towns and doing his thing. Number one, Paul Jones will continue to feud with Jack Briscoe as well. but. As we came to the end here, Roman, any any thoughts you uh, you didn't get a chance to express during the show and any way to put a bow on this thing? Well, just, uh, you know, like I mentioned last week, I, I think it is good when they mention their past. And like you said, Flair was a babyface, so they wanted to remind you that he used to be a heel with Valentine. And then also, of course, there's new fans that tune in every week. You know, you can't just assume everybody knows everything or they know the whole history. So. There may be somebody that that might have been their first week watching. And, you know, when they bring up the Flair and Valentine team before, I, I think that's a good way to educate people a little bit, to help them understand, you know, why they're a powerful force to be reckoned with. And those fans living in the area at the time or anywhere where you were able to get worldwide wrestling, they would also get a taste of Ric Flair and Greg Valentine this week as they defeated Ken Hall and Keith Larson. Also on Worldwide, Jack Briscoe defeated Ken Timms. Bob Orton Jr. defeated Rick Connors. Paul Jones defeated Mark Fleming. And Sergeant Slaughter and Private Canoodle defeated Ron Ritchie and Mike Davis. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and think that uh, Ritchie was probably the, the one that took the L there. But after they broke out of the studios, they went back out onto the road. And we will get to those results right now. Let's take time for this commercial message about the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling events coming up in your area. We begin the day after the tapings in Norfolk at the Scope. Jimmy Valiant defeated Leroy Brown by disqualification. Greg Valentine defeated Bob Orton Jr. Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cranoodle defeated the Briscoes. And NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair defeated Roddy Piper by disqualification. The next day, Friday, December 10th, in Charleston at County Hall... We see Johnny Weaver and King Parsons defeat Gene Anderson and Private Nelson. And we also see Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cranoodle knock off Jack Briscoe and up from Georgia, Brad Armstrong. Also that night in Richmond at the Coliseum, Jimmy Valiant, Mike Rotundo, and Sweet Brown Sugar defeated Joe LaDuke, Paul Jones, and Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Dusty Rhodes also defeated Leroy Brown. While Bob Orton Jr. and Roddy Piper defeated Ric Flair and Greg Valentine in a steel cage match. 
On Saturday, December 11th in Asheville at the Civic Center, Jimmy Valiant defeated Joe LaDuke, Roddy Piper defeated Greg Valentine by disqualification, and Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle defeated Bob Orton Jr. and Jack Briscoe. On Sunday, December 12th, part of the crew was in Toronto at Maple Leaf Gardens working for the Tunnies. Here are the matches that are most of interest to Jim Crockett Promotions fans. Leroy Brown defeated Pork Chop Cash. Terry Kay defeated Private Nelson. Leo Burke defeated Johnny Weaver by disqualification. And WWF champion Bob Backlund beat Playboy Buddy Rose in a Texas death match. Also on Sunday, December 12th, Greensboro Coliseum, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cronoodle defeated Bob Orton Jr. and Jimmy Valiant. Jack Briscoe defeated Paul Jones and Roddy Piper defeated Greg Valentine by disqualification. On Monday, December 13th, at the Greenville Memorial Auditorium, Dusty Rhodes defeated Leroy Brown in a bull rope match, while Roddy Piper defeated Greg Valentine by disqualification. On Tuesday, December 14th, Columbia, South Carolina, Township Auditorium, Jack Briscoe defeated Joe LaDuke, and Roddy Piper defeated Greg Valentine. That takes us back to the WPCQ Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, for December 15th's taping of Mid-Atlantic and Worldwide Wrestling. Here's the WWE preview for next week's show, December 18th, 1982. Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat send an emphatic message to the NWA World Tag Team Champions. So we're getting Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat back, and ain't nothing wrong with that. As I mentioned earlier on, If you like this show and would like to connect with it more, I invite you to follow us across our many forms of social media, especially on our Twitter. Just search at MidAtlanticPod. We'd also really appreciate you following us on YouTube, youtube.com slash MidAtlanticPod, full and truncated podcasts, plus great audio and video clips from the rich history of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling and Jim Crockett Promotions. That's youtube.com slash MidAtlanticPod. I also invite you to support all the programs and content here on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We don't condescend, and we are dedicated to preserving and accurately archiving the history of professional wrestling. And I'm proud that this show, produced by me, can be a part of that. For Roman Gomez, I'm Mike Sempervivi. Take us home, Bob DeBartolabin and Uncle Bob Cottle. All right, fans, that's it, and it's been a wild and woolly time. And you hear it there from Paul Jones and Wahoo McDaniel. We'll see you next week. And until then, so long for now. Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling has been furnished to this station for broadcast at this time by Jim Crockett Promotions in exchange for commercial consideration.